morning. Oh, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. While you're turning there in your electronic glowing devices, I have mine up here. Uh, a couple things, if you got an outline this morning, uh, that's the way I used to always do, I used to always have outlines, because twofold, one, um, if, you, if you listen and write things down, you always remember a little bit better than just sitting there listening, and two, it gives you something to doodle on when you get bored, so uh, if you got a pen or whatnot, you know, just draw a little hangman or something like that about me or something, anyway, uh, but I, I got to give two disclaimers before we get into this. Uh, number one, the first disclaimer is we're going to go through a lot of scripture today, similar to what Rick did last week when he went through chapter 22. Uh, we're going to go through all of chapter 23 to kind of hurry Rick along <laughs> uh, so we can actually get through Matthew. Um, and so it's gonna, we're going to kind of do a, do a skim here. We're going to take a look at different passages of scripture as we hit each point uh, and then... Uh, and then just basically make our way through. And then the second disclaimer is, this is one heck of a really hard passage of Scripture. Mm. And if you don't think so after we get through it, then I can honestly say it's because you weren't listening. Because listen, this passage has curb stomped me all week long, and quite frankly, I don't want to be the only one. So I'm bringing you along with me. Now, when we get to chapter 23, this is basically Christ's last public address to the general public. Uh, to, to, you know, he's talking, there's, there's probably some, more than likely, there's some Pharisees and some teachers of the law mixed in here because he gets really after them. Then you have his disciples, obviously, and you have those kind of people. And then you have, uh, and then you just have the general audience because after this, he kind of goes away. And when you start in chapter uh, 24 and on, he's spending a lot of time near the end talking about just basically to his disciples, getting them ready because, I mean, he's getting close, right? He's, this is, I mean, he's, he's, he's running out of time and, and uh, so he's setting his disciples up and all this other stuff, telling them what's going to happen and then you have the betrayal, the, you know, you have the Last Supper, you have the, the betrayal, you have the crucifixion, you have the resurrection after that. So this is kind of his last general address here and he really, really, really nails the leaders, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And it is so easy to read through this chapter that we're going to do today and automatically think one of two things or both. One, man, I'm so glad he finally said something to those snakes, those Pharisees and the teachers of the law. We've been listening to them be stupid for however long Rick's been going through Matthew and I'm sick and tired of it. Good for Jesus. The Pharisees deserved it. So we can think that. And number two, we can sit here and think, boy, I really know someone who needs to be here listening to this sermon today. Or both. But that's not the point of Scripture. Scriptures, it's, it's not the point of Scripture to read through and then think of other people that need to hear this. The point of Scripture, the point is we should read this and we should be praying, oh my goodness, Lord, please help me to not be this person. Lord, please help me to not be this bad of a hypocrite or what I like to call an intentional hypocrite. Now listen, 
I've been, this is what I've called it this for a long, long time, intentional hypocrite or purposeful hypocrite, because when it comes down to it, we are all hypocrites at some level. Now, just listen before you pick up your stone. Everyone in here and out there in the whole wide world is a hypocrite at some level. Listen, if you've ever, ever acted in a certain way around people that is even slightly different than who you really are, hypocrite. Because the Greek word that is used here is hippokrates, which means actor or pretender or one who wears a mask. Think of Shakespearean play back in the day. You hold up the stick with a mask on it. And so that's what it means. It means one who is acting, one who is pretending, or one who wears a mask. So guys, if you've ever puffed your chest out a little bit more, are sucked in that gut a little bit when you see some jack dude with a 12-pack walking down and you want to seem a little tougher than you really are. Or you see some pretty figure walking your way and you're like, I'm not an ogre, look at this, yes. Hypocrite. Or ladies, and I really had a problem with this because I don't know, but uh, so uh, if, if you've ever had frenemies, right, friends to the face, enemies to the back, or if you ever tried to be fancier than, 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 uh, than you really are because you're hanging around fancy people. And that can go for guys too, right? Depends. Keeping up with the Joneses, right? Well, I got to have this now. And, 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 and you know, you're, you're around certain, so you got to act a certain way. I learned that really well in the Marine Corps, right? You got to play the game. Otherwise, you just get stomped all day long. So you play the game. And I was around, and uh, what I did, I was around senators, and I was around high public people, you know, high flute, and I don't go in there acting all Jefferson County. Stop, God, woo! Right? You go in there, and your pinky's out, and you're drinking the tea, and you yes. So if you've ever done that, hypocrite, because we're acting. So what's the point of going through the whole chapter when it's aimed at church leaders like, I don't know, Rick? Shouldn't he be here listening to this? Probably. But you know what? He needs a vacation to get off him. But the point for all followers of Christ is to look at what Jesus is talking about at the Pharisees here in chapter 23 for us today, but all of Scripture, but at the Pharisees, and then how we can do the reverse, how we can do the opposite. And so today's message is a how-to message, and I know how-to messages are kind of old school, and y'all, you know, they're out, you know, we don't do how-to message because we just leave it between the limit. Okay, well, this is a how-to message. Move on. We're going to get over it. To learn how to come nearer to Christ, because I know I'm not the only one who deals with this a little bit. I know I'm not the only one who has a work persona and a, and a home persona, even if it's just slight, even if it's just a little bit. You're around the boys, you're around the gals, you're around whatever, right? So write this down, and then we'll go through this chapter as we talk about it. So number one, write this down. How do I come closer to Christ and escape this autopsy of hypocrisy? Number one, practice the art of humility. If you want to write that down, you can. Practice the art of humility humility. Look at verses 1 through 12, and we'll see what we're talking about. This is uh, in the NIV, uh, and this is NIV 1984 version, so I don't know. Anyway, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. In other words, they have the authority. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy 
cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and their tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. I mean, that's been like a continual theme Rick's been talking about forever. In the book of Matthew, verse 12, again, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Practice the art of of humility. In other words, you cannot come to God but also think that you are all that. What would this church do without me? It'd move on. You cannot come to God and also think that you are all that. And we're going to bring it home in a second. But the Pharisees basically built themselves up by tearing everyone else down, and we'll see it when we get into the woes, and they add these huge, cumbersome loads of laws and legalism, and you got to do this and this and this and this and this, while they have all the tax loopholes. <laughs> Why have they have the loopholes to be able to do certain things, and we'll see that in a little bit too. They made sure to let everyone know exactly who they were and what their title was. You know anyone who likes to tell you how great they are? Maybe a boss, I don't know. Well, what's up with the phylacteries and the tassels I was talking about? Well, phylacteries is from Deuteronomy chapter 11, and the tassels are from Numbers 15. And phylacteries were leather boxes that they put, they folded up small pieces of scripture in. They folded up scripture and they would put inside and they'd wear on their hands or on their head. So like a chopped off unicorn horn, right? And it'd be right here. And they'd have this little leather box and you'd have some scripture. That way it's always there, right? It's a physical reminder of God's word. And the tassels were cords that had blue on them. You can find in Numbers uh, 15. And they were on the four corners of the robe and, and, and they would have on the men's garments. And that would be a reminder. Now, both of these things were indeed commanded by God to do to be a reminder of God and his word and what he's done not to be used as a status symbol. But the problem was at some point along the way, as is the case always with humans, the leaders started making theirs a little wider or a little longer than the average person. So I could see it back in the day, and God says, this is where you're going to make them, make this little leather box. It's not huge because you're wearing it on your forehead, right? You're not going to, you know. So you make this little leather box, you put some scripture in. That way, my, my, my word is always on your, you know, and you can't go around and forget you got something sticking out of your head right here. And so, and that was the point. But then at some point, you have this guy, you have this teacher of the law, you have this, this scribe or, or whoever, and, and they're wearing, you know, and maybe he, he bumps up in leadership, right? He climbs the corporate ladder and he gets up there and now he's the head, you know, he, he's the head honcho. He's the head Pharisee, he's the head scribe, he's the head whatever. And so he wants to stand out because he wants other people to know, man, I'm not just your average newbie 
like noob freaking Joe over there. No, man, I am, I, am, I, am, I am the head guy. So he makes his a little wider and a little wider, makes the cords a little longer, adds another loop down there. And by the time it gets to Jesus' day, you got these cords that are really, really long like a wedding train going behind them. And they're walking through the crowds of unwashed masses just flipping those cords around. Yeah, baby, look who's coming through. Mr. Rabbi, Mr. Pharisee, all this. I mean, he says that. They make their cords really long their tassels. They make their phylacteries wide. You got some, I can see some Peter-like dude, and, and he goes in there and he's, I'm going to stuff a whole scroll in there. And he makes an eight-foot-long phylactery. He's walking around like this. People having to dodge under him because he wants people to know when I walk down the street, you got to know. And why would they do that? Because it's a status symbol of how close to God they were. Look at how righteous I am. And we don't have those things, but look at how righteous, look at how wide my phylactery box is. Look at how long my tassel is. Man, it's going down the road. People have, you know, playing double dutch with it down the road. Can you see the pride? Loving titles, he says. They love the honor at banquets, taking the place of honor. They love to be greeted with respect to be called rabbi and other titles like that. Now, what's the real warning about titles? Is Jesus saying that we can't call our earthly dad, dad, or earthly mom, mom, or anything? I can't call Pastor Rick, Pastor, or something? No, he's not saying that. And all of the research I did here, that's, I mean, it's like people that have spent 50 years, doctorates all over the place, Greek and Hebrew, we all, you know, they all talk about. This is, those are functional titles. This is not about functional titles. Titles. That's why we actually have titles in the New Testament like pastor or elder or deacon that Paul writes about. Those are, those are supposed to be functional titles. Now, they can easily turn into honorific style titles. I've known plenty growing up who started out and you could see almost the change. They get a title and suddenly they're walking through church with their chest a little puffed out, a little bit more, uh Look at me. I'm a deacon. There's supposed to be a functional title. The warning is don't build a hierarchy of religion based on honorific style titles because no one is closer to God than anyone else. We are all oh, sinners. Pastor Rick is not closer to God he doesn't have, you know, a, a T1 line going to Christ where we're all still on dial-up. No, we are all, the, it's level at the foot of the cross. And we come to Christ and we all pray. We don't have some person we have to go to in order to pray to God. Nobody has God in their back pocket. But people in church tend to get that way. Maybe they give a lot. You see that a lot, Right? So the amount of giving equals the amount of pull that I have. Well, I give this much. It should be my way. I see that a lot. Dealt with that. I have God in my back pocket. You see these preachers on TV, you see on the billboards with these magnificent titles. And one you can Google right now if you want to. And this guy's been around for a long time. I bashed him <coughs> like a decade ago. I don't care. Uh, but he calls himself Master Prophet Jordan. Master Prophet. Listen, 
master prophet because Isaiah just wasn't good enough. Because Ezekiel or Daniel or Jeremiah or all the actual prophets of God weren't good enough because they never called themselves master prophet. Most of the time, they didn't even want to call themselves prophet. You read Isaiah. What does Isaiah start out? Isaiah's like, woe is me. No. So many times. What was Jonah? Jonah was like, oh, see ya. He gets on. I'm going the opposite way. You don't want to. Why? Because you know it's a death sentence. And this guy's master prophet, Jordan. And let me tell you something. What, dude? For a face seat of $1,000, you get a brick in your name in some place, wherever. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5b, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Practice the art of humility. It's hard in today's day. It's hard to even know what a man is supposed to be like. You look on social media, <laughs> TikTok, it's hard to know what a woman is supposed to be like. You look on social media or anything else, it's hard to know anything anymore. Everything is so confusing. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Number two, <clears throat> so one, practice the art of humility. Number two, practice the art of grace. Write that down. <clears throat> practice the art of grace. While you're doodling, I got some coffee. Mm. Mm-hmm. That was good. Practice the art of grace. Look at verses 13 through 24. Here we go. <laughs> Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, Hippocrates. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those entering who are trying to. Verse 14 is in some manuscripts. Uh, it's talking about widows and stuff but it's not in all of the manuscripts. You hear someone says, well, you know, there are verses that are missing in the Bible. They're trying to hide something. If they're trying to hide something, they wouldn't plainly tell you, hey, this is in some manuscripts, but not in others. And the reason why they're not including it in all of it is because it's not in all of them. So, you know, let's move on. Verse 15, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. When you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. And remember, not, let, let's see the context. He's talking to the Pharisees here, but also let's think about, whoa, man, do we have any of this that kind of sounds like it maybe, right? You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? And there's a whole lot there we're not going to get to today. It's pretty interesting, actually. It's their tax loophole. Uh, therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. 
You blind guides, you strain your ears. I love this. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Can't see the forest through the trees. There's a lot to unpack there, so I'll go quickly. This is where Jesus really starts to nail the leaders, and you can always tell when he's going to, because, listen, if God ever starts out a sentence with woe, buckle your seatbelts, right? It's not going to be good. This is, this is going to get hard. In other words, you can't love God and hate people. I struggle. You can't love God and hate people. Think political. You can't love God and hate people. As we take a look at the passage there, Jesus gives a couple examples of people we need to be gentle with. I wanted to bring it out here because I think it's important. Number one, the lost. The lost. We need to be gentle with the lost. I know it's weird, but we need to be gentle with the lost. Look at verse 13 again. He says in verse 13, Woe to you, teachers of the law you fair, uh, uh, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. People are trying to, and you shut it in there because of your legalistic rules and laws. <laughs> And second, we need to be gentle with the new Christian. The new Christian. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. In verse 24, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a big, giant, stinking camel. Basically, the leaders were taking innocent people who longed to know who God really was and making them miserable with their laws and their rules <clears throat> and then making them wrong. I'm not saying God doesn't have laws and rules. We see that in Scripture. Let's not be immature about it. But the, they're packing on top of it the legalism. That was ridiculous. Was putting these heavy burdens Christ talked about at the beginning of our chapter here. Loading them down with these burdens of, well, you got to do this, and all this other stuff. They were interested in the wrong things. Gold and gifts and the super exact right amount of tithe. He says, you tithe 10% of all your spices. I can see, you know, just counting out the pepper spices. I got one million pepper pieces. I got to count out exactly 10%. And if you're 9.99999, then you're not right. And being exact on all these and, and laying them down and then turning people away because they see that. And they're like, man, I just, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. That's craziness. Jesus tells them, you missed the whole point, he says. What about, what about justice and mercy and love? Not just any old love, biblical love. What about justice and mercy and love? Those things have to do with people, not stuff. All of the Pharisee stuff had to do with stuff. And Christ is like, you need to care about people. Well, let's get tough for a second, bring it home. <sighs> 
We may not wear physical tassels. We're not coming in with long cords of blue. And we got blue lights. That's... Well, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're not coming with, with long cords. We're not coming with big giant boxes on our foreheads. I'm thankful for that. We don't have to walk around with boxes on our foreheads. So we don't have anything physical, really, to show how great we are. But listen, careful, listen, because I do that. Listen, we do this, let's be honest, at some level somewhere. Think hard. We may not have those physical things, but we can throw our level of Christianity all over people. We can throw our level of Christianity because we're a little bit further down the road than the new Christian. So we're like, oh, right? I'll give you an example. And you think to yourself, if you've ever done this or more than likely the person to your left or your right has done this, right? It's not you person sitting over here. You're at a Bible study. You're at a small group. Men's class or women's class or even both or whatever. It's time for prayer requests or something or someone just feels led. Someone feels led. They're really dealing with something, man, and God's really just been pressuring them and all this, and, and they feel led to, to confess something. Always scary. And so they do. And then, you know, the person to your left, not you, not, not me, it's the other person, they automatically get the uh face. You ever done that? Say, man, guys, listen, I'm really dealing with this thing dealing with porn that word that's a four letter word don't say that in church how dare you and then we automatically think I never well I never like a southern bell (laughs) I'd never do that listen I'm really struggling with some pills oh my gosh in church how dare you say that in here this is holy ground come on come on Oh, Lord, let's be honest. At some point, we get all judgy. We get all self-righteous. Do not tell me you don't go down the news feed and get angry at what you're reading and go, oh, my gosh, I just hope they get it. I do it. I can't go down the news feed without getting mad. I got to stop doing that. (laughs) Instead of praying, Rick was talking about that a couple weeks ago. Really stomped on me all the time. You know, I'm tired of coming here. And we see people, we see the lost acting like the lost, and we get all crazy. And I do, I do it too. I forget. Used to not be that way, but I've kind of gotten hardened to it, and I'm confessing. And we see the lost acting like the lost. Man, don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. It's the world. It's the lost. Bullhorns do not save. Christ does. Paper signs don't save. Christ does. I'm not saying be wishy-washy. You think Jesus was wishy-washy in this passage? No. He's nailing them. But it's in love, and we need to be gentle with that. They're the new Christian who comes in who hasn't 
understood some of the things that we got going down the line. You know, one of the best things that I loved about ministering to addicts in California, especially, because around here, there's churches on every block and you're flooded with it. But out in California, out in the middle of the desert, man, there were like six churches for thousands of people. I mean, they didn't know. And one of the things I loved about it is they didn't know who Billy Graham was. Who, who knows who Billy Graham? Anyone remember Billy Graham? Let's raise your hand. You know who Billy Graham is. My gosh. They didn't know what Old Testament was or New Testament. Or there were two different things. Man, I love that because they, they had no idea. They come into church all moshing each other and punching and all this. And I, you have to let them know. Okay, hey, hey, hey. You know, we don't do that here. That's out in the parking lot by the smoking pit, all right? Here, right? And so you got to teach them. And I loved that because they were so innocent. But it's hard to deal with. And so a lot of people don't want to. I don't want to deal with that. Let someone else do that. I want a clean, pretty, I don't want coffee stains on the carpet. I mean, my gosh, we had to vote this carpet in. Imagine trying to vote it out. Not here. I don't know if that, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm going to get off my soapbox there. But come on, man, I know that's hard-hitting, but let's be honest, right? We get judgy, we get self-righteous, we read what the left's doing, read what the, wherever, wherever your stance is, the right, the left, the middle, the up, the down, the, whatever. And we get mad. We need to remember grace. And listen, Facebook does not negate grace, amen? Facebook does not negate mercy and love. Facebook is not outside of Christ's jurisdiction, Besides, when we practice the art of grace, it helps us to rely on God's grace more and to realize where we've come from. It reminds us that we are mere fellow travelers. Just some people are a little further along on the road, but we're still on the mere fellow travelers on this journey called Christianity. So one, practice the art of humility. Two, practice the art of grace. Three, practice the art of cleaning house. Practice the art of cleaning my house, Caleb. Practice the art of cleaning house. Look at verses 25 through 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. We all get that, right? We understand what he's talking about. Dressing the part, playing the part, hypocrite. Acting better, acting fancier, acting more righteous, acting... We can do this. We here in this room today can get to this point if we're not careful. This is what hypocrisy, I mean, this is deep down hypocrisy. We come in, mm, and I struggle. Mm. We come in looking all clean and beautiful. Perhaps we come in, you know, perhaps if we want to be a little, little more real this Sunday, we come in with a little dirt on us, right? Like a, just, just a little bit, like I almost got a speeding ticket coming into church today. 
don't tell mom. So I come in and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I got, I got a little bit of dirt. But otherwise, I'm pretty good. We're in our white Benny Hinn suit. Hair flying all over here. And we look pretty and we look clean and we sing the songs and we pray and we listen and we drop some money in the box. Invitation time comes or the end of the service comes. We do a rinse. Lord, forgive me my sins. Bless the day. Amen. And then we're out. I do that. I've done that. I've gotten to the point where I don't even pronounce the words correctly. Lord, forgive me of my sins. It's Lord, forgive me my sin. <laughs> forgive me. To Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. But no real change, no real deep down cleaning. And listen, living like Christ, let's, again, I want to be honest, and I don't know, maybe it's, I don't want to, ah, it's hard, hard not to judge preaching. If we truly take a look at what it is to live like Christ, then I think that we could all agree that living really like Christ is difficult. I'm talking every motive. Every, I mean, think about the motive. Not just the actions, but the words and the motive behind that stuff. Living like Christ is difficult. Living like, trying to live like Christ without Christ is impossible. Look at verses 29 through 36. Let's, let's move on. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead then. Hello. Man, you see Jesus' blood building here. I mean, you can, he's getting red in the face. Go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill like Stephen, who was the first, and crucify like they say Peter was crucified upside down, and others. Others you will flog in your synagogues like the disciples when they, <coughs> in the book of Acts, and pursue, and pursue from town to town, which is exactly what Saul was doing on the road to Damascus when Christ said, stop, this stops now. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly, I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Man. What Jesus is saying here in the... Okay. I, I, when I'm reading that, what, you know, there's all kinds of things. But when I'm reading that, what I'm seeing is... It, it's, it was interesting to me reading that, what, that they have the same attitude that, that we can have today, especially when it comes to his, history. I was talking with uh, a young person, yes, I think yesterday, yeah, yesterday, who's getting a degree in history. 
and going to go on and get a master's and then a doctorate in archaeology, really into that stuff. And we kind of talked about history for a little bit. And you know, and I was telling her like, man, when I was a kid, I hated history, right? And the older, it seems like the older you get, the more about history you care, right? You care. You're like, oh man, yeah, that's good stuff, you know? Uh, and so I was talking about her, and I, I told her about a podcast that I listened to, and one of the great reasons why I listened to him and why I really like this guy is because he doesn't, he, and he talks about how he specifically does not bring today's lenses into the past because we can't say that. And that's what these guys are saying. They're saying, well, if we would have been back there, we wouldn't have done that. And Jesus is saying, liars, man. It's the same thing as if we were here to say, well, if I was living in the 1700s, I wouldn't owned any of you know, those people. Uh, whatever. You're, you're not living in 2023 back then. You're living with those eyes. And that's just the way, that's the way it was. Well, do we want to do it? No, but we learn, we move. This, that's the way it was. We can't go all the way back to Roman times and say, well, if I was a Roman, I wouldn't. But oh, yeah, we would. We'd have gone to the Colosseum and we'd have watched the daggum murders and the lions eating all this other stuff, cheering them on, going, yeah, eating our popcorn. This is bad. Man, one day they're going to make a movie about this called Gladiator. And, and that's what they're doing. They were saying, oh, we wouldn't do that. And Jesus says, that's not true. Stop acting like this doesn't concern you. That's the point. The leaders were acting like the Bible wasn't actually about them, that they were above that somehow because they had this big old wide box on their head and they had these tassels long and they had a title of rabbi because they went to the thing and they went up the, just like Saul was doing. And he talks about how great he was and about how wrong he was. Talking about how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, man. He was working his way up. And then Christ said, that's not it. And he got it. If you want to get close to God, if I want to get close to God, then I've got to take things personal when it comes to Scripture instead of always just kind of letting it flow off and thinking about someone else. You've got to let God in. You have to see these things written about in Scripture that we've gone through almost all of chapter 23. We've got to be able to look at that. We've got to be able to understand what we sing about, what we just sang about with Zach leading, thank you, Zach, and what we, and what we just sang about and what we pray about and what we tie, give, give to, all this stuff. We've got to take that stuff and we have to learn to not just let it wash off and go, that's someone else. We need to take a look at that and go, Lord, help me. Psychosurgery me. Man, I'm, I'm, I need help. Apply it to your life. Lastly, Let's end on some good news. That was pretty, that was pretty, pretty heavy. I tried not make it so, but that's pretty heavy. The good news is God wants you home. God wants you back. God wants you close. Let's say, you know, yeah, I'm not saying you're not home or you're not close, but God wants you closer. Christ wants you even more. Look at verses 37 through 39. This kind of sums up. This whole chapter, Christ has been getting a little harder and a little harder and a little harder until he, he gets to like 33 and he says, you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? And then he comes to verse 37 and here we see his heart. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, 
and you were not willing. How long have I longed to bring you into? Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Back, back in the, uh, the late 90s, I got an illustration and then I'll be done. But back in the late, uh, I think it was probably the late 90s, somebody put out a movie, a um, couple movies, the book of Matthew, the book of John. Anyone ever seen those? Those were good. And what they did was, they went through and they had actors, right? They had all the actors. Bruce Marchiano was the one who hypocrates Jesus, right? He acted, he pretended to be Christ in the movie. Um, and what they did was, they, they, at the bottom of the screen would be the NIV text. And they didn't say a single uh or an ah or a the or, or whatever that was not in Scripture. It was straight what was in Scripture. And they, and they, and, you know, they speak... And all that. And it was really well done for being, you know, in the late 90s. It was really good. And in it, the, again, uh, the actor who portrayed Christ, his name is Bruce Marchiano, and he was filming this scene, Matthew chapter 23, and he says that he kept forgetting his lines. He couldn't remember his lines. He kept messing it up, kept messing it up. Because, and they began filming this last time, and he says something hit him like a wave, and he was filled with emotion, and suddenly he's on his knees, and he's crying, and before he knows it, he'd done the whole scene. And he writes in his, his journal on March 26th, I didn't have the year, quote, the Holy Spirit swept me up in the woes and I broke big time. It was exciting as the words came straight from the Lord. The Lord wasn't spitting fire at these, these guys. He was loving them. His rage was not a self-righteous, now you've had it, rage. It was the rage one experiences watching someone they love walk out the door. It was a rage born of a broken heart. It was his last ditch effort to gain them, desperately holding a mirror to their faces, passionately heart crying for them and having done everything he could to make them see and understand that I am he and I love you. Come to me, end quote. I love the way he says that. And that's his experience, but, but, but you, you, I can see that. This is his last ditch effort. This is his last public address. After this, it's going to go quickly and boom, he's done. And he's holding that mirror up going, look, 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 look at what you are. Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're concerned with, the altar and the spot. Look at this. You're tying up all these things. Don't you get it? I've been here for three years. I've been talking to you guys about this. This is my last one. You brood of snakes, come on. You ever done an intervention? Anyone ever done an intervention? This is an intervention, Matthew 23. Hard, honest, pull no punches, in your face intervention. And he's calling us back to himself. He's calling us. This was a long time ago. Apply it to yourself today. Holding up the mirror, look. And the good thing, the thing I love about Jesus, one of the things. I, I talk to people, I see people, and they say, You know, I quit going to church because, you know, they just talk and they, they point and they talk about us. I hope you got that. I didn't point at anything. Yeah, <laughs> Look at me. 
But the thing I love about Christ is, and, the, and the Bible is, yeah, it is hardcore and it steps on your toes and it can really make you hurt. But he doesn't just leave you there. He doesn't go, uh, stepchild, uh. He'll cut and then heal. They come to me. He doesn't treat us like a dog. He just doesn't leave us in the dirt. Picks us up. Because he wants us to be close to him. That's what makes life in Christianity. It's the only thing to hold on to is Christ. My mentor, Pastor David out in California. I texted him a couple days ago. Oh, and I feel so stupid. Texted him a couple days ago. I hadn't texted him since Christmas. I texted him a couple days ago. And it was a kooky message like, hey, boo bear, stuff I do. And, you know, forgetting that this week is the anniversary of his wife dying one year ago this week. And he didn't text me for a couple of days, and I got a text last night, and he says, this week, one year ago, and he lists the dates. And I was like, oh my gosh, the one stinking time I text is on the anniversaries of all this. And here's a guy that's been preaching since he was little. That's the only thing he's ever known or done. He doesn't change tire. He doesn't put air. He doesn't, this is all he does. And he is super. He's a sermon writing machine. I mean, and, but he's real with me. And he texts me some things. I'm not going to share in case someone's out there listening. But, but he texts me some things. And I just text him back and I say, it's not fair. But Jesus is literally the only hope we have in this dumpster fire of a cursed world. And thankfully, it may be hard and we have to hold that mirror up and we don't want to look in it, but we look at it anyway and we go, ah, oh, there's some things. Yeah, I go to work and I act a little bit this way. I act a little more whatever, you know, instead of a little more gracious maybe. I'm known for being the angry old guy. But then he doesn't just smack us and leave us to feel awful. We turn around, he comes and he holds us and he loves us and we say, yes. So as we leave, I'm done. I'm going to pray, and we're going to dismiss. No, no communion, no, no uh, last song. One question, one question. We've listened to it. We've looked at all the scripture in chapter 23. Deep cleaning, humility, grace. Question is, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, Lord, and this time to be able to come up here and preach and, and just share your word, Lord. I pray, Lord, my words don't, don't matter. I mean, Lord, I'm unqualified. Lord, you, you, are, <laughs> you are the only one qualified to preach, uh, to give us your word. Rick isn't. Lord, we all struggle with something. And so, Lord, I pray that as we walk out of here, maybe we think, all right, all right, all right. Okay, so what needs, what needs to change? What needs to change just a little bit? I mean, just something. Just something. Pray more, spend time in the Word more, uh, uh, be more gracious, 
uh, at home or be more gracious at work. I mean, that's hard. It just, it's not something that we can just click on a light switch. I mean, we got to come to you and pray and ask for your help and guidance in that. And when those situations come that require grace or patience or humility, and then we are reminded of this, then we need to actually make that choice to be more gracious or patient or humble. And so, Lord, as we go home, and we probably will just have a, a nice, normal day today, but then tomorrow, you know, some of us, most of us, got to go to work or whatever we're doing, and that's where the tests begin. And so, Lord, I pray that you give us the strength. And, Lord, we're going to mess up. We're going to fail. We thank you so much that you just, you love us and your grace. Lord, if not for grace, we'd be dead men walking. We'd just be dead. So I thank you so much, and I pray... You'll just bless the rest of this day. I do pray, bless the day. That's a good thing to pray. And bless, bless us, Lord. I pray for Rick and his family as they enjoy out in, the, in our old stomping grounds out in the southwest. Lord, I pray that they have a great vacation, get refreshed, renewed to get back in it. And I thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. You have a great day.